So, uh, what's going How's on? How's it going? <laughs> um, it's going okay, you know? What have you been up to? Um, mostly, like, novel editing, hanging out with friends, just kind of ch- trying to take it easy while also trying to be a productive human. The name of the game. Wait, so is that uh, the novel that you finished in the spring? Yes. Uh, and how are edits going? Oh my god. <laughs> it's They're going well. It's a little bit like disorienting to do because this this draft isn't like a draft zero. It's more like a draft one and like one or like half a point five, if you will. Um, so so um, there's a lot of like good material, but the beginning was really rough because I was sort of like just getting like. I was dipping my toe in the water, if you will. So the ending and like the middle portion of the book is pretty solid, but the beginning was like, oh shit, this needs to like, <laughs> like go away. Mm. So it's, but it's been good. I've been picking up the pace a little bit and kind of getting the groove going. It's just a lot of brain work. Yeah, what does your editing process look like? like? Like, do you do different kinds of editing at different times or, like, yeah, all of it right now? <laughs> all of the things. Right now I'm doing more, like, editing for writing style and, like, story content versus, like, proofreading. Like, I'll do that later. We're not even there yet. It's mm-hmm. not. <laughs> um, so mostly right now it's kind of, like, People listening to the podcast can't see this, but I've got a clipboard with, like, it printed out. And then I look at the clipboard and look at my computer screen and then, like, retype everything over again. But in this way, I can sort of, like, restructure sentences and be like, oh, like, I don't need this part, so I'm not even going to write it down. Versus, like, if I were to go into a document and, like, cut things and write over it. It just gets too like messy and feels more overwhelming. So what I do is I print out the work and then go back into a new document and start store and sort of just like rework it solely because there's some more basic errors that need to be fixed right now. That's so awesome. And it's what, like five hundred something pages? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Izzy's killing it. Oh, thank you. I, I wish I felt that way, but <laughs> Oh, you should. Uh, thank you. I know. I'm I'm only on like page 93, which is So you mean you edited 93 pages is what you're saying? Yes, but I like cut out like 20 pages. <laughs> and that was the beginning. It counts. It counts. It counts. Yeah. I had to read through it so it counts. <laughs> yeah. Okay, enough about me. What are you up to? um i i've been apartment hunting i've been i haven't actually uh been on a much of a reading kick recently i only a few days ago finished a book that i was still reading last time we talked and then um have kind of been picking up picking it up since then there was a little lull there um 
it was nice to get back into like the swing of writing with uh, the piece that we did for this week. I felt like I've been out of it for a bit. I feel like since um, the semester ended, I've s- it's taken me a while to like get into a routine that like works and allows me to like get my work done and I can make my own hours, but like there's definitely ways of doing that that are better than others. Um, so I'm finally getting the hang of that and that feels really good. Um, so yeah, I feel like I'm just kind of getting stuff together right now, making things move. That's amazing though. I mean, I can totally relate to that. Like once the semester ended, I feel like all of my creative things just went like pop, gone. <laughs> yeah. Like wait, during finals week, I had so many ideas. Where are they now? I know. It's like, what? <laughs> Hello? Yeah, so I think that the writing exercise that we did this week was really helpful. Yeah, I really felt the resistance to, like, start it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nope, this is the rule. Sloppy first drafts. Here we go. Yeah, I felt like, I feel like I've been, I've spent the last two months trying to figure out a schedule for myself, and it just not happening. Oh, okay, I'm glad it's not just me. But it sucks, like... I know that I thrive on routine, but I can't find one I like. Yeah. I, like, I'm better closer, on routine. Though. But, like, I, I've i never been a routine person. So, <laughs> I'm trying really hard to, like, establish routines. And I do- this is kind of, like, what I wrote about in the piece that we're going to be talking about today. But just being in, like, a new space or being in a different space, like, by myself without anyone else definitely, like, helps establish that like control over things totally yeah and that's kind of one of the reasons I've been like not super on it about creating a routine too because because I'm looking for apartments and I might move in two weeks um or I might move in two months so like It's kind of, like, part of my brain is like, well, why even bother figuring it out here if everything could be different in in a few weeks? So, like, also fighting that part of my brain. But I think there's something to be said for, like, um, like, having at least, like, a very simple, like, base to a routine that you can use wherever you are. I think, like, for me, I think I kind of need that sort of deal to keep me sane. And if, I don't know, other people don't, but, like, good for them. Uh, I do. Yeah, I I definitely start, like, devolving if I don't have, like, a set schedule for things. So. Yeah, I just start to feel like, it's like I feel guilty when I'm not working, because I should be working, but then when I am working, I feel guilty that I should be with my family or with my friends or working on a project for myself or whatever, so, yeah. Yeah. Izzy, do you want to tell everyone about the book we read for this week? Oh my god, the book we read this week. <laughs> um, so we... Oh my gosh, wait, hold on. I need to pull up her last name so I, like, remember what it is. I have a list in my phone of, like, all the books I read. Okay, I was right. I remembered what it was. Okay, so we just read The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict, which was about Hedy Lamar in a, like, fictionalized biographical work yeah um so marie benedict um 
she's written a few books sort of in this style, um, taking on a real-life person from a particular era in history. I think she's, I think all of her books have been about women from history so far, um, and providing a very well-researched but fictionalized account of their lives or a period of their lives. And this one was about the Austrian actress Hedy Kaiser, who went on to be known as Hedy Lamarr. Um, and I guess I'll just give a little bit of background. Uh, so she ends up marrying a an Austrian arms dealer, like uh, who's really at the top of the industry for selling guns and weaponry and uh, different components of that. And she becomes privy to a lot of the secrets of the Nazi party and the fascist movement in the early days of World War II and just before World War II. And, yeah, I don't want to go too far. But, uh, yeah, she, she comes to know more than a woman was expected to know and have more of a hand in things than she was expected to have. And this sort of follows her story from there. Yeah, absolutely. Jumping off of that, I feel like the the discussion of like politics and like political parties in this novel was really intriguing because um, the man that she married, um, Frederick Mandel, was a part of Austria's fascist party, um, which was actually opposing Hitler's original like Nazism, but eventually like falls in line with it towards the um, the beginning of World War Two, but it was just, I feel like in, at least in the United States history classes, which are clearly lacking on so many levels, um, we don't really learn about fascism outside of Nazism or, um, like, Mussolini or any of those kind of correlating. That's so, so true, and it makes me think of, um, I just kind of had this conversation with someone the other day about, like, the way, um, U.S. history, European history, and world history are taught in American public schools. I haven't, like, when, (laughs) I didn't learn about World War II in any capacity, except for, like, no, really, in any capacity since eighth grade. And then it was, like, a unit, not in, not in history class, because history class was, like, ancient history in eighth grade. It was a unit in my language arts class. And that was the last time I learned about World War II. And, of course, then you learn about it on an eighth grade level, so, of course, there's a lot that they can't go into, and a lot that doesn't stick. And, yeah, um, so that conversation I, I was, I had (laughs) while I was in the middle of this book, and, yeah, I mean, I knew I knew it was the case, but, like, opened my eyes even more to just how piecemeal my understanding of history is. Absolutely. And, like, even... I, I went to a private school, and I'm not... I'm not affluent, guys. I'm sorry. Anyway. Um, but I, I went to a private school, and even though we covered... Um, world war Two and like the advanced placement classes sort of thing so like at a higher level um the lack of 
depth and a real like understanding of how this like still affects eastern european countries today and is like a huge issue um that like no one really talks about in the united states is like ginormous um i think the summer after i took um ap euro i went to eastern europe with my family yeah this makes me sound really affluent i'm not it's (laughs) anyway (laughs) um i went to eastern europe with my family and we went to hungary and hungary like looks like it's still stuck in like the early 2000s even though you know it, it was like 2015 at the time or later probably later but it's insane it's insane how even the politics are still ruptured by like remnants of the nazi party and of fascists and all of those things and then sort of the the wealthiness that you go to say vienna and see the really rich cultural history and just the for lack of a better term the affluence that's clearly absent in like budapest not to say that it's not there but you know you can even walk by their parliamentary buildings and see bullet holes in the wall wow and you know like things like that um you know remnants of of communist buildings and that like really impoverished staunch style still exist you know issues with anti-semitism still exist (laughs) you know it's it's not it's not good but you know we we don't really recognize that as americans yeah i feel like it's treated very much as like an over there problem yeah and it's like oh the war ended it's over right yeah (laughs) oh my gosh which like could then you know like get into the fact that america's involvement you know like with israel and you know the effects of that and how that's still an ongoing issue clearly it's it's sort of like our government made and continues to make all of these decisions that like impact other people super severely that don't really affect the united states itself at all so that being said i feel like i feel like a lot of the education i've gotten on this um has come from reading historical fiction or historical nonfiction, um and in that sense i think this this book is a somewhat unique perspective um because it is from the point of view of someone who had very close ties to someone who was very high up and had a lot of power um and not all the accounts that you read are like that it's also coming from a woman and you also get the point of view of both europe and america in there so i thought that made it a very interesting uh point of view that this was taken from but what were your first impressions first impressions oh this is kind of hard because i have mixed feelings about this book um it was definitely nothing like i expected it to be um in the beginning of the book the author sort of drops 
the the reader into one of the like famous theaters in Vienna at um at the time um Hedy Keisler's like famous performance of um as Elizabeth or Sissy um like one of actually like the most famous Austrian empress um so that that definitely like was really jarring <laughs> as a place to start because I feel like we don't really have a lot of information about um Henny Lamar's early life before she like came to the United States um yeah so first impressions definitely that it was a faster paced novel than I expected it to be um just in the style of writing and just kind of started in a place where I didn't expect it which wasn't necessarily a bad thing but we can talk more about that later (laughs) (laughs) yeah I yeah that's interesting that you commented on where it started because you're right like it did feel like something I didn't have a lot of context for even like being a theater-ish person um yeah like I wasn't familiar with who she was at all. Like, I got my initial information from you. Um, and certainly not what her theater career was like in Europe. Um, I think (laughs) my first impression was definitely just, like, it was about the exposition. I just felt that the exposition was very heavy-handed. And I get it, like, in this style of book, when you're when you're using a lot of research and you're presenting someone who had a very complex and full life, like, of course there's so much to say, but I, I did feel like the, the exposition was kind of overbearing. Uh, like some of the conversations that happen in the first half of the book are just very like information dense in a way that I'm like, would, Obviously, it's not, like, real genuine dialogue. That would be just about impossible, but it's not quite realistic either. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's there's a really fine line between, or in, like, exposition and during dialogue. And having uh, the, converse, the first conversation she has with her father, I was like... Wh-? That's what I was thinking about. I was like, oh my god, you... The reader gets dumped with not only Austria's political climate, but, like, the climate of her household, like, the environment of her household, like, all of these things, all of these different settings kind of merge together in this single conversation wherein the reader hasn't ever been introduced to these these characters interacting together before. And I think my brain blew up a little bit when it happened. That's not to say that the information wasn't understandable, but I feel like that's kind of how the whole book was structured, was the reader was kind of just dragged along into new spaces and, like, thrown new information and expected to, like, be kind of knowledgeable about the type of environment these characters were inhabiting, even though some of the places, like, are completely, like, different than what the average person would experience. Definitely. Yeah, that was, yeah, it was a big information dump. And, um, oh, what was, I don't know, like, (laughs) 
not. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like it was giving me all of the information that I would need, but it was giving me so much information. There was no way. I read, like, that conversation you're talking about. I think I read it, like, three or four times. And I was still like, I think I need to mark this page so I can come back and refer. Um, which, like, again, is that a bad thing? I don't know. But it wasn't super fun for me to read. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be. But, yeah. And, oh, my gosh. I think, too, especially with that first conversation, is that, like, there's so much information about the political climate, and the father is not being clear. Like, he's intentionally, like, being... He's alluding to things intentionally while giving all this information. And so then Hetty is, like, figuring things out while he's talking. So then it becomes, like, the readers bouncing back and forth between these two, like things and are like what is happening (laughs) yeah like two characters who have very different levels of information yeah and both levels are being thrown at the reader and you're just kind of like oh okay (laughs) like okay this is a history book yeah like (laughs) mm, which is again like not a bad thing but as a person who's like well pretty well versed and like fantasy works which have to establish a completely new history in one like usually one book or at least have a basis um for a completely new history with no like world context no like prior knowledge you just have to like there are definitely ways (laughs) to introduce a reader into things without info dumping that much while still getting that ambient vibe yeah, much more subtle ways. Yeah. All right. Um, how did you feel about the characters in this one? <clears throat> oh, my gosh. So, uh, this, is, this is hard. <laughs> I thought that, <clears throat> I think that Hetty's character had very like smart internal dialogue and internal narration so i think that she was like interesting to follow so (laughs) that you know that (laughs) that worked um for the like first half of the book i read it in like hard copy and then for the second half of the book i listened to the audiobook and like me too oh my gosh yes i was like i'm not gonna finish this on time so i got an audible free trial (laughs) that's what i did (laughs) that's so funny and it was really like i think it was like one chapter after part two started that's i think i was a little bit before that i had like six hours of the audiobook left and i was like yeah so (laughs) i definitely feel like i started liking the characters more with the audiobook because or at least like connecting more to hetty because the the woman who did the narration had a really like intelligent like narrative style especially when she was doing hetty's voice um but then hetty's voice when she was narrate like speaking um 
when she was like narrating versus like when she was speaking to one of the other characters was different which i thought was also mm-hmm. intelligent by part of the person who was narrating <clears throat> solely because there's there's kind of this play this theme that's played around within the book that henny is a different person than who she's perceived to be so her narration is very smart like very um strong-willed whereas her speech can be very docile and have have like um an almost like acquiescent vibe to it when she's um in a public sphere so the fact that the the narrator like verbally and like tonally like switched up those things really helped with like connection that's a really good point you're so right i definitely agree about the narration thanks (laughs) the narration for Susie though was really annoying for who (laughs) Susie, she's like the dresser yeah yeah like i know she was kind of supposed to be annoying but i feel like the narrator went a little bit overboard with it (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that happens a lot in audiobooks. Like, they, like, they're, I mean, I would presume they're trying so much to, like, differentiate that they become caricatures. I don't know. That's an art form all its own. I feel like all of the male voices had a really similar voice, too. (laughs) Like, Friedrich Mandel's was a little bit distinct, but, like, even then. (laughs) Yeah, that's yeah which was like again the narrator did a pretty good job like no no shade at all <laughs> no, no no i felt like i felt like overall um the characters were somewhat like underdeveloped which again this is a story about her life about Hetty's life not about all of these other characters <clears throat> um but i i felt that that was especially true in the second half like, in the first half, I was able to, like, I was really intrigued by the, like, ups and downs of the relationship between, um, Hetty and Fritz, and I felt like that was, that was well done, and then as we got into the second half, it, none of those characters, or even the characters that continued on into their, into the second half were as well developed. Absolutely. I thought especially all of the male characters, um, like, <clears throat> some of them didn't even need to be mentioned, The especially later on in the, the novel. The author brings up a lot of Hetty's, like, romantic relationships that either don't last very long or aren't really important to the plot of the story. Yeah. Yeah. But they, she, like, literally married one of them. And I'm just like, who is he, though? Yeah, and it one of the things that was like really unfortunate to me was that a lot of this book was defined by her romantic relationships. Um, which is something that I feel like happens a lot when you go to find some like to find works about like empowered women is they for like marketability purposes or for whatever reason (laughs) they're always just centered around like their romantic relationships and like romance in general which i think this this book sort of did that's not to say that it didn't touch on 
the abusive nature of some of these relationships, but it didn't really. Like, we heard more, I feel like, about the, like, sexual tension between Fritz and Hetty than we did about her realizing the situation that she'd been in. Like, if that makes sense. I don't... We we kind of... Mm, this is hard to say because the author definitely tried to show this, like, fear and mm-hmm. these conflicting emotions and responses that Hetty had um, to this abusive relationship, but she never really it seems like grasps the fact that that's what's happening to her or that like she does towards the I don't know if I'm making sense she does towards the end but it's still she blames herself for a lot of things that were really out of her control and which is realistic but the way the author presented it it almost got annoying at times which is yeah it was like not sorry (laughs) No, go ahead, go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say, like, it was like she was saying that that was her, like, uh, Hetty as the narrator was saying, uh, that that's how she was feeling, that she felt guilty, that this was all her fault, but, like, nothing else really supported that, you know? Like, not, not even, not, I don't mean, like, it didn't support that it was her fault, like, it didn't even support that she felt that way, it was just, like, Oh, it said she felt guilty in this book I read about her, so I gotta make sure I include that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's... First person is also hard. Like, I will give that (laughs) to the the author. Like, writing, like, really deep and, like, intense emotions in first person is difficult. Especially since the first person is or the person whose voice you're writing in is going to be clouded by the experiences that they've had so like things become way less objective than say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, um in like third person but like again i would have craved a little bit more ambiguity i would have craved a little bit more sh- like internal strife and Maybe even more moments of empowerment. I mean, I know that this book is sort of about how she did these things and didn't get recognition for them, but it also wasn't, you know? Like, that. those things were touched on at the end of the book. Almost like, I almost didn't even think that they were going to happen at all. Um, it was more about how like she was defined by these romantic relationships and by her beauty but didn't even really get to go in to like the mental and like physical effects that that had on her in her later life or even just in her life in general yeah it's the book is very much marketed as a story about a woman who had this incredible mind but was only recognized for her incredible beauty and that didn't feel like what the book was about as a reader. It felt like 
like I didn't feel like she was an airhead, but I I didn't feel like she was an academic either. Um, like she was obviously a very smart person in a very difficult situation. Um, and I felt like I felt like the story there the book didn't do her story justice um, because all of the academic work and like scientific training that she must have had to do what she did was glossed over like when we so for anyone who doesn't know Hedy Lamar is the reason essentially that we have like Wi-Fi today like she's she really did <laughs> she was an inventor and she was a scientist and she made a lot of things possible but, like, we don't even know how she got there. Like, when we got to the part in the book where that was coming up, where she and her, um, like, scientific partner were creating their invention, and I, I guess I won't go into that too much, but I was like, wait, where did this come from? Like, where did she learn how to do this? Like, she mentions reading some of her father's books and some of her husband's books. She mentions talking to her dad about some science-y stuff, but, like... I was like, wait, how does she know how to do this? That that didn't... Yeah, it, it felt like that came out of nowhere and it was really unjustly glossed over. Yeah, I completely agree. I think if the the first half of the book perhaps like focused more on those in-between moments where she was left alone like with, with books and with research mm-hmm. and how she was learning all of these things on her own because you don't necessarily need an academic training to be like super smart um and sometimes like having that like different point of view is helpful but in this situation it just felt so like unbelievable which and i think part of that was because the author never really told you how they were developing or any of the experiments that she was conducting because she the author like briefly skates over the fact that someone lent her a lab and she was just in there like doing experiments and things like that and like we don't get to see that and it becomes the sort of thing where even the reader starts to think like the main antagonizing voices in in the work where it's like how could she do this she doesn't seem capable of doing this Solely because we're not really given enough information. And yeah, it's far- unfortunate. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it's um it's unfortunate because she did do all these things and she was a really incredible woman, but we still don't really get to see the facets of that. Yeah, like I was pumped to read a book about a badass woman from history who made the world a better place with a really cool invention and that I thought like Okay, this was about her, but it wasn't about that, you know? And, and uh, like, what you were saying right there about um, them glossing over the fact that someone just lent her a lab and all of that. Also, so much more attention was paid to the fact that uh, she, her scientific partner was male and his wife got jealous. Like, that was a way bigger point made by this book than anything about the invention or about how she did it and don't love that yeah 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 (laughs) 
it just it feels reminiscent of things that like claim to be like empowering or like feminist and then just fall short every time and it's it's sad to me (laughs) yeah i yeah like i wanted to hear this story but different so is there anyone who you would recommend this to Um, I, the, the answer, um, to, to this, to this question is if you like light reads and you like history and you don't know a lot about Hedy Lamar, then picking up this book might be worth your time. I think that there's a documentary on Netflix that does this does her way more justice than this book did. <laughs> um, but I do think this book gives a unique insight to the the more formative like earlier parts of her life. So I think like for that reason, sure. <laughs> Go for it. I would agree in that, like, yeah, anyone who's, like, a history buff or wants a different perspective on uh, the events leading up to World War II um, or likes reading about that time period or has an interest in that, like, old Hollywood type of vibe, um, you might be into this. Uh, If you're looking for a story about female empowerment or, like, a really compelling historical type uh, novel or book, probably not so much. (laughs) but maybe pass on this one (laughs) yeah maybe this one isn't that so i'm trying to find the name of that documentary okay um there's a documentary called on netflix i believe or maybe it's not on netflix anymore anyway it's somewhere it's called bombshell and it's the henny lamar story and it focuses more on her inventions then and also like her struggle with no one really seeing her behind her beautiful face and like what that did to her mentally and all of those things i think this is be something worth checking out Mm. i'll definitely have to check that out shall we get into how we tackled writing in the style of the only woman in the room (laughs) Yes, yes, we should. Do you, um, who are we? Who's gonna go first? What are we gonna do? Uh, do you want to talk about it first, or do you want to read them first, or what? Let's uh, talk about them first. I think. Okay. Um. So, like, what elements of Marie Benedict's work did you try to incorporate into yours? So. I chose, like, a a couple sort of stylistic things that she does throughout the novel. Um, More like a a fast-paced style that, like, jumps between um, different times in the span of, like, a day or two. Like, I wrote about my day yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. And kind of jumped back and forth between different times in the day, which is kind of what she did. Um, I also did a lot of like more exposition description heavy 
well not description heavy description work with description that's not description heavy but still like paints a picture because i feel like that's sort of what this book did and then i tried to end it with with some kind of not a twist but like a finality to it or like a a little moral like upturn as i feel like each of the chapters ended like that so that's what i did what about you i am really interested in what you said about the ending because i was trying to when i was thinking about this i was trying to put that into words and i think you said it really well um i tried so (laughs) i used a lot of exposition um (laughs) i i was thinking about it as sort of like a even though it was in first person sort of writing from a bird's eye view because that's kind of the impression i got when i was reading this book like even though i was reading from hetty's perspective there was some distance between her and what she was describing and so i tried to latch onto that a little bit I actually took a slower pace to my piece, um, and I totally get what you're saying about a faster pace, because so much, like, she covers, uh, Benedict covers so much ground in so few words, um, but I, then I also feel like some moments take up maybe more time than they need to, or maybe just more time than the rest of it, so I took a slower pace, I used a lot of longer sentences, um, again, set in the scene i i think like when you were talking about uh description without being overly descriptive that sort of deal i was thinking about it as like setting the scene not necessarily like describing every little thing but like making it very clear what the situation looked like so uh, who's gonna I guess we first? should i'll do it it's fine <laughs> <laughs> all right so oh another thing that i took was that she puts the the date and the location over every chapter so i did that too okay june 21st 2021 vacaville in sacramento california in the wee hours of the morning when sun is fresh on the horizon and the air is as cool and dewy the air is cool and dewy dewy Florida, an aging feline who has recently discovered the boons of sleeping inside, screams. Her meows echo down the hallway, and no one in our house is a particularly light sleeper. I'm just the fastest, the most limber. I free my tiny cat, who despite being 17 years old, 84 in cat years, is spry. She seems like one of those grandmas who is a bit too skinny, but is really in shape and runs every morning. An exercise grandma. When I was in middle school, there was an exercise grandma who used to run down Alamo every morning. She would smile at me in the car window, or maybe she was just smiling. She seemed too frail to be doing what she did, but she was hardier than she looked. Four years later, at the end of high school, exercise grandma was still going. I have not been around my old haunts enough to know how she's been. Chores and feeding myself come come first before therapy that happens over my phone. I'm not a morning person, and talking about the parts of me I need help with can put a damper on an already stressful morning. It is worth it, and I am glad. I practice trusting my therapist despite despite knowing nothing about her. She is kind. I am relieved. 
I arrive in Sacramento at 10.30 a.m. On a normal day, I would be in the shower or still at the dining table watching cartoons despite being in my 20s. I try to settle into the house I'm sitting for this week, far more modern, sleek, and affluent than me or the house I live in. My mom, who is with me, helps me to ease into my new life for the next week because that is what it feels like as if I am moving away, making myself a piece of a puzzle that is out of pieces, and yet I must fit or else this whole experience is going to be disquieting. The cat I am sitting helps me adjust. Yellow eyes are always peering out of a black fur face, watching me. He just wants to be a part of my life, and I desperately want to be a part of his. For the time being, we are all each other has by way of company. We are still figuring each other out, sidestepping and learning what we can and cannot get away with. The house is quiet, and even when I put on music or an audiobook, I feel as if my noise is the intrusion, breaking silence like a mallet to undisturbing, undeserving glass. The black cat does not meow or scream like Florida. He is silent, except for the nearly undetectable pad of his soft paws on the wood floor. He paws and nips where my little old lady screams and yells. The black cat and I must find a new way to communicate, for when I talk to him, he does not talk back. There is something in the stillness and the newness that draws me away from the home I inhabited this morning, with my parents and my screaming cat and my phone therapist. This place feels separate, foreign, blank. Here I, here I can perhaps quiet even the voices in my head. The doubts that keep me from myself. Perhaps I will continue to find her, find her again here. Today I will begin again and set about a life of my own, in a place where the responsibility and the choice is mine. Or perhaps it always has been, but now I am simply alone. That's it. Wow. I sounded like a sheep. <laughs> I you Meh. captured it so beautifully. Ah, thank you. Wow. I definitely, like, I could catch elements of, like, what I know to be your style, but I feel like you, like, Benedict was there. She was hanging out. (laughs) She was chilling. All right. Um, so, uh, I chose to, I was conflicted about what to write about here, Um, I knew, like, the elements of the style that I wanted to try to use, but I didn't know what to write about, so I chose another historical event and, um, gave my own take on it. I didn't do a ton of research into, like, a specific person or anything, but I wanted to explore the point of view of a crew member on a cruise ship at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. So, here we go. I think I'm gonna have to make my font bigger. Um, okay. I had just managed to fall into a precariously light sleep. It was always difficult to get any shut eye, shut eye on port days, what with the ship horns and the overhead announcements, when the door crashed open. Hannah was not known for her grace, which, though it made her an endearing friend, also made her a rather infuriating roommate. I turned onto my other side in a huff, facing the wall and clinging onto the scrap of sleep that had just slipped through my fingertips. Jade, Hannah said, her voice serious. Have you heard what's going on? Sleeping. Talk later, I murmured. Though we'd met only a few months ago, I didn't worry about offending her. 
Our friendship was forged in close quarters and therefore could withstand an appropriate dose of gruffness, and I was determined to have this nap. Hannah failed to take the hint and sat on my narrow twin bed, leaning over me. Seriously, did you hear about what's happening in China? With a sigh, I resigned myself to the world of the awake and another night of zombie-like dinner service and opened my eyes. You mean what Carlos and Jordan were talking about last night, the guy who got sick? I asked, remembering their hushed, almost conspiratorial voices as they told about an elderly Asian man who'd fallen ill with some mysterious virus. There were rumors about another case or two as well. Yeah, except it's not just China. It's spreading. That happens. Swine flu, Ebola, I'm sure it's fine. No, dude, come out here. You'll see what I mean. Despite Hannah's reputation for dramatics, I knew I'd never managed to nap anymore today, so I nudged her off my bunk and pulled myself to my feet. I grabbed my cruise line issued button down from the bedpost. It was somewhat wrinkled, and I briefly fostered the idea that I could get a strike for showing up to my shift like that, and followed, uh, followed Hannah down the corridor and into the staff lounge. There, about 15 crew members were crowded around the couch staring at the TV. The glare of the sun from the porthole glinted off the TV and reminded me how much day was left. Tonight's shift alone would be at least eight hours, and I had already put in almost that much this morning. On the TV, a news program was playing, but it was in an Asian language and I couldn't understand anything. The footage showed a few figures in hazmat suits filing into a long, tent-like tube of makeshift medical structures, and I was reminded immediately of the movie E.T., when Elliot and E.T. are quarantined in a makeshift medical facility. I scanned the screen for any English I could pick up on, but found none. I nudged one of the other crew members who seemed to understand more than I, and asked where the footage was from. When he answered China, I turned to Hannah, ready to give her a world-class I told you so, but she wasn't there. I looked around and spotted her near the porthole, looking out. When I reached her, she was frozen, glassy eyes staring out at the shore, where the scene on television appeared to be taking place in real time. Ten or so figures in white hazmat suits, long yellow gloves, rolling a gurney, and headed straight for the ship. And that's what I got. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but just... I really like that a lot solely because it I feel like the character voices and the atmosphere was super clear without having like really minute descriptions like thank you. I felt the voice the, the voice is great it was great thank you it's been a while since I've written anything like that at all so it was a nice exercise how um how do you feel about what you came up with in this exercise? Uh, truth be told, I felt better about it yesterday. But I think it was also like what I needed in the moment, which is always kind of like um, an intriguing thing with writing. Whereas sometimes the things that you need in the moment, you like look at them later and you're like, oh, hmm, like it's fine. Like, okay. (laughs) But in the moment, it's like, yeah, no, I needed this. This is the brain work. It was that I needed. It's wheels are turning. I feel more like myself. Like, I feel like that kind of paramounts my experience (laughs) with writing (laughs) is that um, the act of it 
even as I was writing about like the potential of finding myself, I found more of myself solely because I was writing. So that that was cool. I liked it. What about you? We love writing. No, I love that. I love I think the wheels turning thing uh was so true. <laughs> I felt that so much. I needed I needed something to push those wheels along. Um yeah, I felt like uh for like jumping back into writing really. I mean, I write all day every day, but like writing fiction, writing my own stuff is different. And um so I I'm not wholly disgusted with this piece. I think I think the style kind of serves better f- um Marie Benedict style as evidenced in this book serves better for like a period piece like this book is than what I was doing given that I was writing from the point of view of a modern 20-something, but, you know, maybe in 20 years or 50 years or 100 years, that's what people are going to be saying about this era, so, yeah. Shall we get into our recommendation of the week? Oh my gosh, yes. Would you mind uh, reading the the request, please? Of course not. So, this Okay, so this is a request from Sophie, and she said, I love books where everything wraps up neatly into a satisfying ending, like I'll Give You the Sun, The Magic Strings of Frankie Presto, and the timeless classic Holes. So if you know anything like that, I'd love your recommendations. Do you want to go first? I feel like I'm making you sure. go first all day. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Okay, so um, my recommendation for this request is 100 Years of Solitude or uh, Cien Años de Soledad, if you want to read it in Spanish, as it was originally written, um, by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Uh, this is a classic work of literature, um, a classic work of Latin American literature as well, clearly. Um it follows like seven generations of families and kind of their family dynamic and um i haven't actually read this yet um but i've been meaning to read it for years but it i definitely think it has that very familial and like wrap up nicely vibe that you're looking for um because of solely the sheer amount of generations (laughs) that this work follows which makes it like supremely unique um it also has a little bit of a magical realism um aspect to it which makes it a lot of fun and very impactful so yeah go for it check it out i don't know a lot of standalones that wrap up nicely so (laughs) Which may say something more about me. Yeah, I like I I flop back and forth between series and standalones, but the standalones I read never wrap up nicely. So, yeah. Yeah, it. When I was going through my list, I made it clear like how many don't. So, Sophie, I don't mind you. I mean, I don't uh, blame you for being on a search for this. Um, I am recommending "Where the Crawdads Sing" by Delia Owens. And this book, uh, I think it came out in 2018, but don't quote me. Um, Anyway, it won lots of awards. It's very, very popular. Um, And it's about a girl um, nicknamed Kaya, who is 
abandoned in her home, essentially in a marsh in North Carolina. Um, her mother abandons the family and she's left with her father, who is an alcoholic, and slowly, one by one, all of her older siblings also leave until it's just her there. Um, and eventually, he leaves too. So this is a story about her survival and her sort of integration into society and the prejudice she faces there, her first encounters with formal education, um, and how she forges relationships and makes a way for herself in the world. It covers her life from the time she's, I want to say, like, seven or eight years old until she's, uh, well into adulthood. Um, so it covers a, a large swath of her life and it is really satisfying. I felt a lot of emotions when I read this book and yeah, I think it's, it's popular and it's winning awards for, for good reason. Very nice. All right. So I guess we should talk about what we are individually reading now. You get to go first this time. <laughs> okay, so today, actually, um, I've been listening to a book basically all day. I think I have like eight minutes left of it, and it was only like a five-hour book. So this is a reread for me. It's um, Compound by S.E. Bodine, I believe it is. B-O-D-E-E-N. Oh, S.A. Bodine. Um so it's called Compound and it's about a family that is, uh, they're millionaires and the father has built this like fallout shelter for a uh, supposedly coming nuclear war and they've been, the idea is that they will go down here, go down there and be safe and after 15 years the radiation should be at a survivable level and they're able to come out. So most of the book takes place at year six. So they've been in there for six years. There's three siblings, uh, the mother and father, and some other personalities that I don't want to give away. Um, and I read this book, honestly, I must have been in like third or fourth grade. And I was like, I was probably a little young to read it content-wise because I knew that there was stuff I was missing. Like my mom reread it recently because she was using it as a lesson or for a lesson in one of her, in her class. Um, and she just, like, reminded me about it, and I was like, oh, I think about this book a lot, like, I should go back and give it a reread, so basically all day today, it's been the background of my day, um, as I'm going about life and the world, um, and it is really compelling, and yeah, I think it has, I I'm honestly surprised it hasn't become more popular than it is. Um, the characters are, are a lot more developed than, like, similar books I've read like this. There's a book called Fallout by Todd Strausser that is sort of similar, but it's set during, uh, it's sort of like an alternate version of what could have happened in the Cold War if the Cold War was no longer cold. Um, and, like, I found that book really, really compelling as well, but I found the characters very, very one-dimensional, and that's not the case with this one. Um, and there's also a sequel, which I, uh, to Compound, which is called Fallout, but not the same as the other one. Um, and I never read that one when I was younger, so I'm excited to get my hands on that and 
see the rest, but honestly, I don't remember exactly how this one ends, and I haven't finished it yet. I have, like, eight minutes left, so we'll see. Um, and then for, like, my, so that's my, like, audiobook that I'll be done with today, but, like, my bedtime book that's gonna be by my, by my bed that I'm gonna slowly make it through is Fahrenheit 451, and, I mean, I know the story, I know the play, I know what it's about, and I love Ray Bradbury, um, but I never read the book, and I think I got this, I think I got this at a yard sale, so I had to snatch it up, and yeah, I'm excited to, I haven't read Ray Bradbury in a while, but like I said, big fan, so I'm excited about that. Izzy's turn. Okay, before I tell, say what book I'm reading right now, I would like to comment that Fahrenheit 451 was the freshman core read from like my first year of college and so we all had to like read it and um I think I was like one of the only people who in my class <laughs> who act like in my class as a whole who actually like read the novel um but like actually a really good time I mean like it's not fun obviously <laughs> it's a dystopian <laughs> But, like, it, it's a good read. Like, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. So, that, and as a person who's, like, never really read Ray Bradbury before. So, yeah, definitely would recommend to anyone who's into that sort of thing. <laughs> you should, I have some, if you've never read Ray Bradbury before, I have some some short stories I'd like to send you. Um... That will take you not a lot of time, but yeah, no, I guess that's why, because the, so I was, I also felt like I was the only person my freshman year to read the, like, common read, um, but ours was nonfiction, but yeah, and then there was the graduate program at our school, the graduate theater program did a performance or a staged reading of that, and I think that was, like, a freshman requirement or something, too. Yeah, that was definitely cool. It was interesting to see how they like brought all of the the things to life. Yeah, that kind of brought it back to the forefront of my mind, so I've been on the lookout for a copy since then. Actually, I think I might have gotten this from the Writing Center after our picnic. I wouldn't be um, surprised because it's the same copy I own. <laughs> it's it's from it looks like it's from someone who did not read their common read read because it's pretty pristine. What are you reading? It's all right. Okay, so I am reading The Bone Season by Samantha Shannon. Um, Samantha Shannon is a... This series is, like, dystopian, but she's also a fantasy author, like, newly christened as of about a year ago. Um, she wrote The Priory of the Orange Tree, which is a bohemoth of a novel, but not as big as other fantasy works, but still pretty big. Um and i love that book this is gonna be me about gushing about that other book instead of about this book because <laughs> i'm not very far in this book but anyway i loved that book because you know a lot of big fantasy novels center around male protagonists who are heterosexual <laughs> and cis men <laughs> in a world that supports mostly that keeps like patriarchal norms essentially don't get me started <laughs> anyway okay so this book um or that book that book the prior of the orange tree um it was 
Samantha Shannon's first fantasy novel focuses around queer characters in a world that's inspired by Eastern mythology and kind of in conjecture with a Western folktale about George the Slayer of the Dragon, the St. George. Yeah. So like really cool. 10 out of 10 recommend that book. Please pick it up if you haven't. I know it's been getting hype on TikTok recently, but I read it before that happened (laughs) and like fell in love with it. So... I felt cool before everyone else did. But anyway. <laughs> um, but this is her first book, um, The Bone Season, which is from her more, like, established series. And focuses on, like, character a character named Paige who has, like, clairvoyant powers. And they live in, like, a dystopian future where everything's sort of ruined. And there's aromatics who are uh, people who don't have clairvoyant powers and then clairvoyants or unnaturals and there are different types and Paige is a clairvoyant but she is a um I think like what's it called a dr- she's a dream walker which is like a really rare type and so like it's definitely a completely different style um than Prior of the Orange Tree it's in first person it's dystopian it's not fantasy I mean there of course there are some fantasy elements but like it's dystopian um so yeah i'm it's definitely something different than i would usually read but i really like samantha shannon so i'm i'm doing it i'm not very far yet so i don't have concrete opinions but yeah also she published this book when she was 19 years old so yeah this the story goes is that she worked like did an internship in college for a literary agency and got connections there and then at her university a famous author came to talk and read some of her work and was like I really like this like you should you know query it to agents and so she sent an email to the agent connection she had from that internship she had and he took it so she became like what the UK called like the next JK Rowling at 19 years old which is like been my dream <laughs> and I'm 20. Cow. So, yeah. She she's very cool. She's very smart. And and I'm yeah, I want to be like her. <laughs> so Wow, I'm really interested to hear what you think about that. I like the dystopian fantasy elements. That's interesting. Do you want to tell about what we're going to read together next? Oh, yes. <laughs> I feel like how half of this podcast is just me gushing about things, but there are no rules here. <laughs> there are no rules. Thank you. Okay, so we are reading Nevo's first novel, which came out like a couple weeks ago, and I had pre-ordered for months called The Chosen and the Beautiful, um, which is about Jordan from The Great Gatsby but as um, reimagined as, like, a Vietnamese immigrant and kind of sort of going through, like, the queerness and the sexiness and the beautifulness of Gatsby while also talking about, you know, being marginalized in the 1920s. Um, Nevo wrote The Singing Hills Cycle, which is my favorite set of novellas. There's three of them, but only two of them are out. Um, The... Empress of Salt and Fortune and the When the Tiger Comes Down the Mountain and When the Tiger Comes Down the Mountain is my favorite. 
but they're also very queer and very fantasy y and the the writing is just really really fun and yeah i'm excited it seems like it's gonna be very lush and very pretty i am so excited to read this i pulled it up to see if it was um on scribd or libby at all and uh the first line of of like the little description is the great gatsby but queer and with magic and i'm like sign me up i'm here for these roaring 20s yes it's like please and i i've read um a book that was that was also queer and with magic and set in the roaring 20s in san francisco um that also um focused around um kind of like life centered around like more like chinatown and i didn't really like that book as much and i was sad and this book is definitely different for the cult- the culture in long island where great gatsby takes place is extremely different than san francisco <laughs> um but just being able to hear more like queer voices and then queer voices from asian authors is really really cool so i'm excited hell yes the cover is beautiful too like it is stunning you better take some pretty pictures and send them oh my god wait the cover matches the house that i'm house sitting right now i feel like i should oh you better have a photo shoot (laughs) yeah just a book photo shoot you know why not why not i must i need to send you pictures anyway (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that's what we'll be talking about next time. I think that'll do it for now. You got anything else? No, just see you guys later. Bye. Bye. Bye.